This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, everyone. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. All the technical difficulties that never cease to amaze us here in the uh, technological world of radio. But there it is. So moving right on, there was a time we called uh, today hump day, but with work schedules so skewed these days, gone are the days of standard Monday to Fridays and even non-technical issues. Hey, Claudette. <laughs> oh, if only you can fix it all with one little click of the button. So um, anyway, now your hump day could be a Thursday, Friday or Saturday for all we know, unless you're working two or more jobs, which many are, and in which case you may not have a hump day per se anymore. Same goes for the old TGIF. Just cannot assume anymore that Friday is the end of the work week for people because in more and more cases, it's not. Anyway, if this is your hump day, I uh, hope you've managed or are managing to get over it. As the show name says, this is News Talk, now that uh, you can hear me. So anything that's in the news is fair game today, and there's lots on the go. Despite it being what we like to affectionately call it in the news biz, the silly season, and that's uh, once we get into the depths of the summer months, you know, uh, you never know what's coming at you. Um, Also, the barbecue circuit, you know, for a lot of politicians, we like to call it that over the summer as well. We get out and schmooze and um, shoot the breeze, and there's no shortage of that either, especially um, with what came down the pipe on July 1st as far as uh, new taxes and new levies on the money that we make. Fire it right back at the federal government. Um, but I let's see, uh, go through a few of the news stories that we're looking at today. And once again, this is News Talk. So if there's anything on your brain that... Um, has got your go today or anything you just want to get off your chest or something you might see out and about, uh, we are a quick phone call away. 273-5211-709, of course, 273-5211, 1-866-590-VOCM, that's 8626. Same numbers in case you've got them programmed into your phone for open line. And um, I was in around the courts this morning. Of course, several cases of interest there I can update John. First being the second-degree murder case working its way through the system on the West Coast involving 48-year-old Blair Walsh, initially charged with aggravated assault until the 59-year-old victim in the case died of his injuries, after which the charge was changed to second-degree murder. So um, Mr. Walsh appeared virtually this morning, uh, still in custody, and um, they set dates this morning for the preliminary inquiry. And, of course, preliminary inquiry is used for um, presenting all the evidence, which um, is banned from publication. So they uh, it's, you know, can't really report any of the evidence until it goes before the actual trial, and especially in this case where the accused has elected judge and jury if, if. The case does go to trial, and that will be determined after a preliminary inquiry at which all the evidence is presented um, to the judge, and he makes a determination whether or not there's enough there to warrant a trial or to warrant a trial on the charge that's been laid, which is, again, in this case, second-degree murder. So the preliminary in this case is not set now till January of next year, which is not too unusual. There's a lot of cases before the courts, and um, they need a week for the prelim. So in order to find a full week, that uh, a court would be available, and um, of course, all the judges are the judges available. Of course, all the counsel, the lawyers are available. All of that has to line up, and uh, they came up with Ju- January the twenty second of next year for five days, after which it will be determined if there's enough 
uh, evidence to go to trial. Also, the case of Charles Gillen this morning was uh, back in court very briefly. This is the man uh, accused of uh, in the so-called grandparents phone scam facing a slew of charges there, allegations of fraud and uh, trying to swindle people out of their money. Hard-earned money, especially our our most vulnerable senior citizens, our grandparents, you know, who may be just a little bit not as technologically or savvy as we all are or have to be on our toes these days um, because you just never know whether it's a grandparent scam or another scam. So um, that case is still waiting for the defense lawyer there is waiting for disclosure. So all the case, all the evidence that the Crown has has to be forwarded, of course, to the defense. They review it. And then they decide how they're going to proceed. So that case has been delayed now, or put over, I should say, till August the 9th. And on a little bit of a lighter note, a bit of good news, bad news, I guess you could say with this next one. So Booking.com, you may know as Booking.yeah. Those are the big ads they got going on, uh, especially down on, um, in the, uh, on the American stations, but Canadian stations as well, trying to get you to... Uh, you know, fork out for a vacation and a place to go. So they just named Newfoundland and Labrador as one of the most welcoming places to go on Earth for 2023. Probably no surprise to us here, um, you know, that we're welcoming and friendly people for the most part. Claudette, <laughs> I'm talking to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not that you're involved here or not. but oh, Great. I'm having a little bit of static issues here with this particular microphone. Um, but yeah, you know... I can appreciate why people think that we are so friendly, mm. but for the everyday Newfoundlander <laughs> that's going around to various stores, I feel that we have a reputation for being nice, but I've been on the receiving end of not so nice, like people being just ambivalent or you're actually interrupting them when you just want to get served as if we're hurting them mm. somehow just by going into their workplace so i inconveniencing I feel them we're inconveniencing them you know so i i feel that not you know it, it is a stereotype that i welcome but i don't feel that we are all really nice people i think we just morph into something when we come across visitors or or tourists where we just want to really really present ourselves as right. really wonderful and nice that's such and, a good point and it's just our nature to do that because we want to feel good about our place want to mm -hmm. feel good about us because we do we have that reputation and we're always told we have that reputation. You get a, a, a survey or, or a, a story like this today that says Booking.com finds Newfoundland and Labrador one of the most welcoming places in the world. Out of about 220 places that were looked at or that made the list, we came in ninth. So you're looking at places, um, let's see, there's a town in Spain, town in Greece. These are the top two. To uh, the third place, Austria. Uh, County Down, UK, fourth, Romania, New Zealand, Vietnam, Costa Rica, and then Newfoundland Labrador, number ninth. So how they determine it, I mean, uh, Come obviously. Come from away. That's what, how they determined it. They yeah. heard of the show. There you <laughs> they go. Knew strictly we from the people movie. In. <laughs> strictly, strictly from the theater production. Yeah. <laughs> there is that, but it all adds up. And, of course, you know, you always have people who will... Um, as you said, they'll write letters to the editor. Back in the day, you'd always get a nice letter to the editor from somebody who couldn't get over how welcoming somebody ran out of their house to help them with a flat tire mm -hmm. or whatever. I feel like that happens elsewhere, but I feel like we like, like to hear it and we like to feel it. So we even are inclined to, to yell it from the rooftops ourselves, you know, and the self -promote, mountaintops. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. We love it. And, and we do self-promote that. I mean, our own companies would self-promote it. And you can be guaranteed that they'll include... This review from Booking.com 
in any reviews they have to say, look, we're, you know, we're considered that way. But I take your point, too. That sometimes we're not we're so great to tourists, but we're not so good to ourselves to each sometimes. Other, yeah. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Uh, you know, against that point, you know, you can keep <laughs> you're going to change your mind. Not me now. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to change my mind because I feel that we could be nicer to each other. But I feel that in times of need, like in really grave times, um, you know, people missing a dog or or somebody is sick in a, a particular community, communities come together to help each other mm. out. So I do believe that in tough times. We come together and we help each other. But in the everyday going to the grocery store or going to pick up a <laughs> can of milk, if you look at somebody the wrong way, you might just get in. <laughs> just kidding. But you doesn't happen to you that often, does no. it? <laughs> I just find people I ambivalent. Though. I don't I find don't them caring yeah. necessarily. Uh, you can find that and uh, as um, a segue here now to this morning with uh, Open Line with Patty Daly this morning. Uh, that kind of thing got a lot of traction when it comes to driving. Ah, I don't find yeah. we're the most courteous to drivers either. That's so true. Have you ever tried to zipper merge? I find people <laughs> will go out of their way to try to be a hindrance or, oh. or want to be insulted and or will follow you until they do something wrong. And yes. So and, they can and lean on the horn. shame you on social media yeah, sure, by showing that. off license plates. Oh, yes. We're and there might be a little bit of hypocrisy there. What yes, do you think? I think so. Just a little bit. Anyway, um, we are taking phone calls on any of that uh, that you want to just weigh in and get in the middle of our little chat here between Claudette and I. Uh, if you want to weigh in on that, one eight 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 six six. sorry, one eight six six five ninety 590 or 709-273-5211. Um, when we come back, we've got a big premiere actually tonight at the, uh, if you're in the St. John's area. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't even say that because it's by invitation only. <laughs> but oh, in any you event, can tease us. the first graduates of um, uh, College of North Atlantic's TV and film program are coming through the pipe right now. And they have uh, two features tonight that are going to be screened at the Empire Theaters in St. John's in a moment. Coming back after the break, we're going to chat um, with one of the instructors from the program about uh, what it all means to those students tonight. And of course, when we're talking the film and TV industry in Newfoundland and Labrador, it's, uh, it's upward and onward because um, the sky seems to be the limit when, uh, of what we've been attracting these days. And um, we can always use more crew and more, well, crew for sure, but a few more directors and people in that industry, um, like anything else, to, uh, to seize on the opportunities that are coming up. So we'll have a chat with that after the break. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. Now that my headset is working and you can hear me, we'll be right back. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back with you on News Talk on this Wednesday afternoon in for Linda Swain for the rest of this week, actually. And uh, just before the break, I was mentioning that the first grads from Kona's, or we used to call it Kona, hard to get rid of that, but it's CNA, of course, College of the North Atlantic. The first grads from that program uh, coming through this year, uh, about 30 graduates for the inaugural year of, uh, of the TV and film technical production and post-production, of course. And that course um, program launched this past September and the grads have come through. They've gotten through their first year and there's two screenings tonight from that program, from that uh, just a little ta little bit of excitement going on there for that tonight. And earlier this afternoon, I spoke with an instructor from the program uh, about what it all means tonight, uh, Alison Short. All right, so Alison Short, big night tonight. Uh, just tell me what's happening. 
So we have our very first graduating class of the CNA TV and film program here at the College of North Atlantic. And this is our uh, final film project that we are going to premiere tonight and have a screening at Cineplex. So uh, we've got about 32 students uh, involved in the project, and uh, many of them are graduating for, uh, from our very first run-through. So we're all very excited to showcase this uh, tonight and share it with everyone in the industry and with their family and friends and uh, everyone's going to be quite proud talk about a burgeoning industry and um exciting to have the first class come through um tell me a little bit about what's being screened so we have two projects actually being screened tonight so we have the cna uh the tv and film program here in st john's right. so this project is called after and um it was actually written and directed uh by one of our students naya williams um a very wonderful aspiring young filmmaker and uh we're all excited to show the project and then our, our second project is um shanna did the biotic story and that was uh shot by eric white um and with the students of the digital filmmaking program in Steamville, Bay St. George campus. Right. And so can you just give me a little synopsis? I'm obviously you have the Shannon did it. I could just uh, imagine, yeah. but what does that delve into? It's not a documentary. It's a drama on the story of uh, right. Shannon Dizzy's life. Um, so it, it's a, a beautiful piece uh, that they put together. Um, and yeah, we're very excited to, to show it. And, and after what will, what's that, what does that entail? So After is a story, uh, another dramatic piece, um, and this is a story about a young girl's struggle uh, with her relationship with her mother as she crosses over into the afterlife. So how does this get to the big screen at, uh, at Scotiabank, um, at the mall tonight? How, does, how did that come together, the cooperation and all that sort of thing? So this was a uh, a lot of people working together to make this happen tonight. A lot of our industry partners. We have a full support of um, so many people in the industry here, um, between the unions, uh, the locals here, as well as our industry partners. So we reached out to Cineplex to kind of arrange this, and so we're having a like a little graduation slash screening party tonight. So everyone uh, gets to invite their family and friends in for a screening, um, and we're going to have you know pictures and videos and all that great stuff and then uh, a little reception for them afterwards at the rec room so they're all excited to uh, to come out for their very first premiere so the, the let's go into just the program itself now which is um, you know it's, it kind of might set people back say gee I can't believe we didn't have this, such a program here before given the amount of TV and film that uh, is flooding through the province right now whether it's from people coming in or from homegrown um, and a lot of this goes back to well Paul Pope as, and the provincial government and the new center. Can you just take us back through a little bit of how all this has come together and now you have your first graduating class? Well, 100% you're correct. With uh, All of this is uh, because of Paul Pope. So Paul Pope uh, approached people and has been a huge uh, driving force behind training and, and, and educating and, and creating um, a more knowledgeable uh, film film crew here on the island. One, we have all of the beautiful vistas, um, storylines, everything. Are, the issue here on the island is, is just we don't have enough crew to sustain the amount of projects that could be shot here. 
Um, and so by creating the help with his help of creating the film school, um, we are turning out a better, more educated technician as, as our goal. So our program is geared towards people who are looking to work in the industry um, as technicians on set in various different programs and, and departments. And so uh, that's what we've been concentrating on is uh, giving them the skills and certifications that they need so that people can go out and get a job on set and start them off on the right foot. Yeah, and I mean, as you said, to have the support of everything here in the province, especially with Paul Pope saying behind it, um, I can't say you can't say enough. Who who says no to Paul? And exactly, and you just can't. Or at your peril. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know? Paul is the you know what I mean the driving force for so many filmmakers yeah. on the island, and it, it only seems suitable that we we have a school uh, set up now to to kind of continue that dream. Yeah, and um, hopefully the Pope Mobile will keep moving too. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure if his uh, people don't know. Like, I mean, anytime I visited him on set, he had the had the Pope Mobile there that they called it, uh, sort of like a minivan with about ten screens, and he was always having conference calls around the world with different. Um, oh, Pope Mobile still exists. <laughs> yeah, so who's driving that bus now? <laughs> well, that would be his partner, Lisa, uh, yes. Lisa Porter, is, uh, is now the president of Pope Productions, and. Uh, she, of course, will be in attendance tonight, um, which we're very excited for. That was my next I know question. She's yeah, excited to see all this uh, come to fruition as well. Yeah, and the new center. Where is the? What stage are we at with the new the new center that there was funding as well for? Oh, the the new building. Uh, it's coming along. We'll be uh, getting in there in September, um, and it's all chucked along on schedule, and we're very excited. And that's the former building on Strawberry Marsh, right? That's correct. Across from the ACC. The former Brinton Memorial, right. originally. That's what I meant right. to say. So the former Brinton yeah. Memorial School, right. Correct. And when did you say, like, actually, will it be housing students and actually doing the program? Because right now you're still housing it from Prince Philip Drive campus, are you? Yes, we got the program up and running uh, right away um, so that we could start supporting the industry as fast as possible. Um, so we have students now, our first graduating class came through PPD, um, and we're hoping in September that we will have our first uh, our first new class starting uh, at the new uh, facility. And you got any budding Spielbergs or... Um, oh, yes. Yeah, t- <laughs> tell me a little bit about oh, yeah, the grad... We've got a couple of very, very talented, as I said, our, the director of our project uh, that we're airing tonight after... Naya Williams is a incredibly talented and budding uh, filmmaker, and we're so so proud to have her uh, presenting her project tonight. And so, who can go tonight? Is there a ticket? Do you buy a ticket? Uh, it's an invitation only tonight. We Aww. only have the one theater. I know, but you know, Brian, <laughs> if you're free, we can get you in. <laughs> yeah. I may know someone. So, what time sure. does it all get going? And. So the screening starts at 7 o'clock. We've got a couple of, uh, um, we have Minister of Education uh, coming, uh, Ms. Howell, as well as our former Minister of Education and um, uh, Community Service, uh, Tom Osborne, Honorable Tom Osborne coming. So they'll be coming by and, and giving a little uh, acknowledgement to the students as well as a, a special presentation. And then we'll get the screening started at 7 o'clock. Just strikes me, it must really be like inspiring to see anyone's work from your that class uh, on a big screen tonight. I get a feeling that that can be, you know, um, just something for any of those students tonight. It, it, it's important to see it tangibly on a screen, a big screen right in front of you. 
It is. It is. I remember the first time I went to a theater and watched something I worked on and I saw my name come across in the credits yeah. and it was a big moment. So I think for all of our students, it's a, it's a very big moment to, to see all of the hard work and commitment that they, um, they committed to all year long to, you know, uh, make this project as great as it possibly can. And to see it and now share it with their family and friends, it's just going to be a very special moment for them all. Very cool. A little goosebump moment there. Um, and you're emceeing tonight. So good luck with that. Break a leg. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That is Alison Short, uh, an instructor with the College of North Atlantic's TV and film program, the inaugural year for the uh, college's program this year. It's about 30 graduates coming through and a couple of premieres tonight uh, should be great for those graduates and their family and friends. A little exclusive event. I'm sure there'll be an opportunity to see both of those um, uh, screenings at uh, another point down the road. These are the premieres of them so um, they'll be open to the public at another point. We're coming up to news time at the bottom of the hour with Noah Shepard. I'm Brian Callahan in Four Linda Swain and uh, coming up um, uh, after the break our own Brian Medor checked in with the uh, provincial government's public accounts committee this morning. Some very interesting spending issues that they were talking about today uh, at the House of Assembly and we'll get into a bit of that after the break. Uh, this is News Talk on BOCM. We'll be right back. Join Craig Smith weeknights at 5.45 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune in to Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back with you on uh, this Wednesday afternoon. And I'm um, going to cut right to the chase. Uh, Brian Medora, VOCM's Brian Medora was... Um, could say eavesdropping, but no. He was in on the um, Public Accounts Committee meetings this morning at the House of Assembly. That's chaired by uh, PC Helen Conway-Ottenheimer. And um, that's where the MHAs get an opportunity to really kind of grill or or critique and delve, you know, a little deeper into the finer details of uh, what's on the government's books. Kind of like... Um, you know, the Auditor General actually goes through and, and reviews the spending. And this is an opportunity for MHAs to do their own little bit of homework, look through, see what uh, catches their eye, any extra questions they have on behalf of the public and where the government is spending their money. So um, with a few questions today, everything from credit cards to uh, sick leave and Biosian's um, Prime Ador was there. Everything from sick time for employees to the use of credit cards on the public dime came in for questioning this morning. The Auditor General uncovered several instances of fraud in her report for the 2021-22 fiscal year. NDP MHA Jordan Brown asking for an update. From your take on that, um, you know, um, is there a balance there that, you know, we've, we're just more people are reporting it now and we're catching it more, or is it more that um, more people are committing fraud within the public service, especially due to with the, uh, with the charge cards? Um, thank you. It's a great question because we've, uh, something we were talking about earlier this year. Uh, our fraud numbers are about the same as last year, so there actually hasn't been that much change. Um, we're committed with our fraud uh, program to try and reduce to zero. We have a zero tolerance for fraud in any form, uh, knowing that these are taxpayer funds we're all uh, stewarding. Um, we do think that over time we will see improvement on um, our, uh, you know, use of um, 
reporting, and we're happy that reports are coming in. And uh, you know, the Whistleblower Act and those types of things help provide security to folks who want to um, uh, report. Um, we think that uh, we've tackled some of the issues. We think the credit card uh, fraud, we were very strong uh, in coming out the controller's office was. And um, we think we've, you know, reduced that at least to, um, you know, a much lower level. Uh, but fraud is something that we, you know, know will be with us as it is with any other organization, despite our uncomfort <laughs> and, and uh, uh, inability to uh, fully stop it at 100%, right? Brown wondered about giving employees access to government credit cards and what's being done to try to protect against fraudulent activity. Thing that you think we should recommend or introduce when it comes to these kind of cards and issuing these cards and what kind of uh, limitations or um, restrictions that could be put on them to help or probably reduce fraud? So we, uh, uh, we have implemented, actually, I'm glad you said that, we've implemented a number of significant changes. We've worked with our departmental controllers and with the public procurement agency as well. Um, we think the cards are still going to be needed in the future, but one of the things, for instance, we did this year was reinstitute re a uh, list uh, or a report to all the controllers to ensure that all existing people who have those cards who haven't used them, can we cancel those cards? Do we need to really have them there? That they are doing regular reconciliations on those uh, cards so that we know um, that they're being properly paid and received and they're for proper goods and services. And we've reinstituted uh, or re, uh, re uh, I guess, re-communicated with them to ensure that they are talking to people in their departments um, about, you know, just what they're holding in their hand when they have those cards. Favor Green Bay MHA Brian War was surprised to hear that the amount of sick leave in government declined substantially last year over the year before. I'm wondering uh, if you share the same concern and are there actions that we can uh, provide, uh, you know, or ways to mitigate uh, the abuse of sick leave? And if you can, can you tell us what is costing the taxpayers this province? I.e. sick leave and overtime in lieu of, and uh, would, you have a, would you have a figure you can put to that? Well, the, uh, the sick leave expense was um, uh, 33, uh, 33 million in 2022. That was a decrease from 54 million on the prior year. So are we saying 30, $33 million in sick leave? Expense, yeah. Expense? Mm -hmm. okay. I would have thought it was so much higher. So that's our public accounts uh, figure from last year. That would have been what the departments and all the entities okay. would have told us. In terms of um, actions we can take, um, we do in our uh, payroll division make sure that departments are aware that they're properly recording and reporting sick leave. Um, the abuse of that, I think, is something that all departments and deputies um, need to manage in terms of their own um, lines of business and how, you know, what that's for. Um, I guess in terms of overall uh, approach around that, it would be a government policy decision, but we'll certainly take it back with us. Moore also told MHA Brown, explaining that the province's debt-to-GDP ratio is actually going down. 
what would be a percentage that would be more comfortable um, from your uh, from from your uh, perspective um, versus our debt versus our GDP? What would be the percentage that would be more comfortable from the uh, from the comptroller's office? I don't know that I have a, uh, a view to it. Um, I think that you know, uh, as a as a whole, we'd like to see government have uh, a little less debt and a little uh, more assets, um, you know, but I don't, I don't think I have a percentage that uh, I have in my mind. And I'm unsure where the other provinces, I'm not sure if my team knows anywhere where the other provinces are either on that. I think our, our GDP, our debt to GDP is actually, uh, I don't know if it's decreasing. So um, we're probably in slightly better position than we were in prior years. So that's a good, good news story for us. And uh, it heartens us to know that government is trying to implement things like the future fund, et cetera, to give us some stability there, right? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, and if maintaining the track where uh, we're going there, uh, roughly how much um, more revenue should we be taking in um, to probably keep on this track that we're we're, we're going down? Because obviously, you know, it, our debt to ratio, uh, our debt to revenue ratios are clearly off because we're we're not, you know, we're not having surpluses. We're still having deficits. Um, on our revenue side, where where should we be going with that? And instead, to keep this comfortable spot that we're kind of going down now, that you seem to be saying. I mean, it's a, it really is a policy question for government to have a comfort level with. Um, I guess from our perspective, you know, in the controller's office, um, less, um, less deficits mean less accumulated debt, means a better position for the province. Um, so I guess, um, you know, it, it'd be, and we, we did a good job this year in coming in at a much lower projected deficit than we uh, projected. So. Um, you know, I guess as long as we can keep that sort of record going, that would be beneficial for the province and the people. And uh, that is uh, the Comptroller General, Julie Moore, there. And uh, her officials are at the House for Assembly today answering questions from MHAs, including uh, Liberal MHA Brian War there and NDP MHA Jordan Brown, keeping the government's feet to the fire when it comes to spending. Um, just a taste of it. Of course, the, uh, that's the role of the Public Accounts Committee to uh, continue to just keep that eye on the spending. As of course, there's a lot of other uh, avenues that they can keep an eye on the spending. But this one is public and open, and we can um, listen in. And so did Brian Medor this morning for us. So I appreciate that, Mr. Medor. Thank you very much. And um, we're going to take a short break. Um, here on News Talk. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain for the rest of the week. We'll be right back. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Brian Callahan back with you on News Talk today and for Linda Swain for the rest of the week. And, um, yeah, when it comes to news, this one sort of hits home to us, especially in the media. Uh, the Canadian government, of course, today, <clears throat> specifically Pablo Rodriguez, the Minister of Heritage, uh, announced today that um, basically the Canadian government is going to drop ads on Facebook and Instagram, um, basically in response to Facebook or Meta, uh, saying that it's going to... Um, uh, start uh, well. The new law will require tech giants to pay media outlets for content. The new federal law. So um, uh, the federal government is blasting Meta or Facebook for choosing not to negotiate with Ottawa and instead blocking content for some users as part of a test. So instead of uh, being 
Um, instead of that, the federal government is just going to haul its ads, not going to, uh, choosing not to negotiate. Uh, in a statement, uh, Pablo Rodriguez said Facebook has decided to be unreasonable, irresponsible, and started blocking news. And this is why today we are announcing that Canada will be suspending advertising on Facebook and Instagram. What do you think of that? He said the federal government spends about $10 million in advertising on those platforms, which he said will be reinvested in other ad campaigns. And, of course, uh, this is, comes, of course, as a response to face, Facebook or Meta promising to block Canadian news content on its Facebook and Instagram platforms in response to the new law that would require the tech giants to uh, to pay up. So uh, interesting development there today. That could change, change very much the face of of uh, how we look at social media. I I really, you know, it's, it's hard enough sometimes to distinguish from what's real news and what's fake news. And um, when the real news is mixed in with the fake, and um, whether it's AI generated or not, um, I, for one, I don't necessarily get my straight news from those platforms. I'll, uh, I'll go right to the source itself just to, because so much can be manipulated through Facebook or through <clears throat> any other social media platforms. Anyway, interesting development there. Uh, not a lot of time left in the show, but if you did have to have a comment on one way or the other, which side you fall on the fence, whether it's uh, Ottawa's decision to drop those ads or Facebook and Instagram um, choosing to uh, block Canadian news content. Either way, interesting discussion, early days for that. This is still evolving, of course, as is all the issues around AI and social media. Yikes. Anyway, just going back to uh, last weekend, you know, we're coming up to the end of the show here. And on Saturday, of course, not to traipse back too much into time, but of course we um, Memorial Day in the morning, Canada Day celebration in the afternoon, although this past weekend the Memorial Day ceremony stretched a little further uh, into the afternoon, mainly due to the presence of, uh, well, not just due to the presence, of course there were commemorations at Bowering Park beyond the National War Memorial. In Bowering Park they um, uh, rededicated the caribou um, well, rededicated the Fighting Newfoundlander, the statue of the Fighting Newfoundlander, which is now, believe it or not, 100 years old, and the daughter of the man who posed for that uh, statue, Corporal Thomas Pittman, the daughter, uh, his daughter, Maud Sparks, was on hand even for that. Wonderful ceremony there. And to boot, you had the top general from the United States and the top general from Canada. Uh, and it was quite the sight to see them basically walking, strolling through Bowering Park with many, many, many security in tow, especially for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, uh, well, the, the Canada's uh, Chief of Defence Staff, General Wayne Eyre, and of course, General Mark Milley, the, joint, the Chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, in the United States, Chairman, sorry, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, basically uh, Joe Biden's right-hand man when it comes to the military, the man who uh, basically speaks for all of the leaders of the U.S. military, whether it's the Air Force, the Navy, and ground forces. Anyway, to have them here for our Memorial uh, Day ceremonies was quite nice and uh, uh, very important for a lot of people, including Maud Sparks, who was at the uh, rededication of the Fighting Newfoundlander. And to have someone like General Mark Milley standing there next to the Fighting Newfoundlander, and not just that, but to talk about his own uh, connection to Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, I'll let him speak for itself. I brought a little bit of that tape. Here is General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the United States, speaking this past Saturday um, next, while standing next to the statue of the fighting Newfoundlander in Bowering Park. I want to thank uh, Mayor, uh, thank you, and thank the uh, Royal Newfoundland Regiment and 
Uh, I have, do have a connection. Uh, my great-grandparents are from old Perlican, and grandparents were born and raised in St. John, then they go down to Boston. Uh, uncle served, he was number 84 uh, in, the, uh, in the Royal Newfoundland Regiment, World War I. Uh, he, uh, he was hurt in um, Gallipoli, uh, got dysentery and trench foot and a few other things. He was evacuated to hospital. Um, and, and so he survived. He's one of the very few uh, from the original regiment that survived. I've always been proud of his service. Uh, but you talk about the fighting spirit, and you talk about what those guys went through back then in World War I, uh, and then you ask yourself, from 1914, from the beginning of World War I, to 1945, the end of World War II, 150 million people worldwide were killed in the conduct of war. And it's an unbelievable catastrophe on a global scale. And it was only due to the fighting spirit of people like the, of those that fought in this regiment, uh, American soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Canadian pilots, uh, British troops, etc. It's only because of their fighting collective spirit that we're free today. And it's only because of them that we've had eight consecutive decades of great power peace. And we should always remember we should never forget. We should always remember their sacrifice, and we should always try to live up to their sacrifice and their fighting spirit. So I would tell you that eight consecutive decades is not quite a record. Uh, there was two periods in European history before where there were international orders put in place, and each one lasted about 100 years. So we're in the eighth decade, and it may require the fighting spirit yet again. So what that means for us, those of us in uniform, is we must focus on our competence, our capabilities, our readiness, and our lethality, because none of us will ever know whether we get called again. We won't know that moment in time, but when we do, we have to have that fighting spirit. I salute the regiment. I salute my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who come from this great island. I'm extraordinarily proud of this place. I'm extraordinarily proud of their service, and I'm extraordinarily proud of the regiment as it exists right now. That is uh, General Mark Milley, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States, top soldier, basic, top soldier basically in the United States here in St. John's on Saturday speaking down at the, um, at the well, standing right next to the Fighting Newfoundlanders statue in Bowering Park. Of course, uh, both he and General uh, Wayne Eyre, the Canada's Chief of Defense Staff, uh, both also just before that in the morning took part in uh, Memorial Day ceremonies at the National War Memorial, which of course, once again, we should add um, this time next year, next year's ceremony, uh, a tomb of the unknown soldier, Newfoundland and Labrador's own tomb of the unknown soldier, uh, will be installed at the National War Memorial down on Duckworth Street. And the remains of a Newfoundland soldier will be repatriated to the province over the next year and placed in that tomb, which will uh, certainly bring for some very um, uh, deep emotional moments next year. Absolutely, it'll be a, a deeply emotional uh, Memorial Day at the War Memorial next year. Um, and speaking, of course, of Canada's uh, Chief of Defence Staff, um, uh, some might argue that uh, Newfoundlander Rick Hillier was uh, the finest man to ever hold that position, but uh, I digress. Uh, General um, Wayne Eyre is the current Chief of Defence Staff, and he also spoke um, uh, just before General Mark Milley at the, um, right next to the statue of the Fighting Newfoundlander on Saturday. So great to be here on the 100th anniversary of this statue that is beside us that represents so much, represents the heart and soul of a regiment. But for me, the fighting spirit has to drive on, has to continue. 
The fighting spirit is one of the expect expectations we expect out of all military members. So what is the fighting spirit? It is that will to win, that will to persevere, despite the, uh, the conditions, despite hardship, uh, despite the challenges on the battlefield or around you. It's that will to keep going, to drive on, uh, to make sure that you're going to deliver. You know, something that everyone in uniform uh, needs to embrace. And it is certainly something that the Royal Newfoundland Regiment uh, embraced during the First World War. I've had the honor of, uh, of seeing the battlefields at Beaumont Hamill and visualizing uh, just how much the fighting spirit was evident in the regiment uh, that, uh, that day um, at the Battle of Beaumont Hamill. That fighting spirit is going to be so important as we go forward because the challenges we face today are akin to the challenges the world faced uh, in the years leading up to the First World War. And so all of us in uniform are going to have to embrace that expectation of the fighting spirit, of the ability, of the desire, of the willingness to fight and win, uh, to persevere and to succeed. So with that, people of Newfoundland, people of St. John's, uh, members of the Royal Newfoundland Regiment, uh, it's my absolute honor and pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. Enjoy this uh, very, very special day. That again is Canada's Chief of Defence Staff, General Way in the Ear, and before him, the uh, Chairman of the Joint UF's Chiefs of Staff in the United States, of course, General Mark Milley. Uh, some uh, harsh or hard words, but also some um, frank and ominous words there, of course, given the current conflicts around the world. Um, you know, both generals saying that we have to continue to. Uh, keep that fighting spirit and be prepared for to fight again and when you think about what's happening in the uh, um, in Asia Pacific with uh, China and the Taiwan Strait and the, and the tensions there let alone Ukraine and Russia war that continues um, just by counteroffensives by the Ukrainians but in any event um, again next year's of course ceremony will be something at the war memorial with the repatriation of the remains of a Newfoundland soldier and our own unknown uh, tomb of the unknown soldier so uh, just coming up to the end of the show again uh, Claudette just enough time to check in with you before we call it a show and uh, the call that you've been putting out to some callers today <laughs> about things that let me get this straight so things that you and I would do as your or parents would do that kids won't do anymore is we'll that about never it? have to do or you never know? Have to yeah do um, for instance some of the things that I thought of too was um, <laughs> to use a phone that's attached to a wall well I thought about that and I heard it and I thought well you know I mean I'm sure there'll be probably some kind of device that hangs your cell phone on a wall these days <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what about getting fast food um, through apps I mean aside from pizza we we could get pizza delivered to our house that's but that true. was about it right the first thing that I thought was a uh, Laundry and dishes. Is there a way we can? Is, there'll be a way to figure that out. There will be. I mean, I think there are yeah. robots already invented, and we had this call as well. Let's take a listen. One thing the kids will never have to do what I've done is go in the garden in the summertime, pick all the weeds out of the gardens in the vegetable gardens, and then make the drills, plant all the seeds, and then keep weeding it every couple of weeks and making sure it's all done. That's one thing they'll never have to do today because everything is handed to them. And most kids today won't even eat the vegetables. All they want is fast food. 
<laughs> Ain't it the truth? Although, you know, our memories are short, right? Because we were all like that. So true. And uh, some people did make good points. Like um, we used to have to use encyclopedias and now they have Google. Although I must say I've noticed teachers are making them cite the, yeah. the uh, websites that kids use so that they can be verified. That is getting such a minefield now, especially with AI. But he did mention they're picking the weeds. Just yeah. brought me to mind. Of, I've got this little rock area in front of my house where the weeds, every few days they start to poke up through. So I take the 10 minutes to pick them out. It's crazy. Aww. And then neighbors will come by and say, you're never going to catch up with that. <laughs> so I give up. Give it to a child to do. I'm sure they'll well, yeah. know, pay someone available. in the neighborhood. They pay. They would want money. That's Absolutely. the thing. That's the difference, yeah. right? Nothing comes for free. All right. We're, uh, I think that'll do it for me. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. Perfect. Cut it short. We're right up to news. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. The rest of this week on News Talk. Off to the news with Noah Shepard.